Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to a very special bonus edition of the Redraft Podcast. So you're thinking, it's Wednesday, it's not Monday. Why are Will and Romina on my feed? Well, it's because we've got a very special extra bonus episode. We need to make sure we have a good chat now, Ro, because sadly you're not in this one. Yes, I'm here, but I'm really not here. <laughs> Ghost of Romina. You're always there. I'm in, a figment in, of your imagination podcast. today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the reason we, we've got a, a one half of us on this on this pod is because um, it's an interview from Manchester Film Festival with Naz Kawakame, um, the writer and director of Every Day in Kaimuke, a new film um, coming out of America, more specifically coming out of Hawaii, and it's about that Hawaiian experience that premiered, uh, had its English premiere at the Manchester Film Festival way back in March. Um, unfortunately, you weren't able to make the screening, um, so I, I got time with him afterwards, but obviously only I could chat. Yes. I, I was working, unfortunately, so I had to miss that one. But I did catch two, I did catch two uh, excellent ones, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but I'm very excited to listen to this episode with you as well. It's a really good chat. Um, and we talk about growing up, about identity, about skater culture, um, about that period, because we're about the same age of the sort of mid-2000s, uh, jackass culture and skate and... Punk was all sort of coalescing, Monster Energy Drink culture, Vans Warped Tour. Um, so I really enjoyed being sort of across the pond, but still having the same experience in that way. Um, it, was, it was quite moving. Um, but yeah, Nas was a great chat. Um, so we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. But first of all, big shout out to Manif um, for getting us um, involved. Um, we got to see, I got to see four amazing films. You got to see two? Two, yeah. Two. Yeah um so we'll do the ones together first um so that is mascot and sick of myself which one do you want to talk about first uh we'll talk about mascot first because that's what we watch first um although my favorite was the latter but we'll discuss that in a second so mascot directed by remy van huyten um a movie all about extremism in its many forms yes really interesting really interesting movie to be fair dutch movie Mm. um and yeah, it was really interesting because it was it was it was rather quiet, wasn't it, throughout? But it was really impactful mm. and and really powerful in places as well. And I I actually felt like those those moments without dialogue were probably the most impactful ones and the most powerful mm. ones with a with a deeper message. I think with some really moving and at times quite graphic um, visuals as well. There's one point where we were yeah. both looking at each other and sort of squelching inside. <laughs> going back on our chairs. yeah 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 that last that last scene well not the last last one but that one towards the end mm. where he like smashes his teeth mm. in was just like great great piece of cinema but yeah it's, yeah 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 absolutely when you yeah. can't look away in the big screen and that's one of the magic the most yeah you kind of like cinema, yeah. <laughs> you, you've got to watch it you're forced into this world so yeah shout out to that film uh give it catch it if you can um unsure of uk distribution or streaming but i'm sure there'll be a way um and yeah shout out to direct the director um remy van hoyten as well however the next film that we saw has had a small uk release and will be heading to streaming in the, in the near future um it was on a it was on home recently and i think a select independent cinemas across the uk oh really yes amazing i was amazing i was gonna go back and see it again um i just had schedules clashes and stuff on but it it, highly recommend seeking this one out sick of myself uh christopher borgley now what'd you make of this 
Another great piece of cinema, really, really good acting, and we have to give props and a big up uh, mm. to the um, special effects uh, people in there as well. The makeup and um, SFX were yeah. incredible. Towards the end, the scene where she's filming the Balenciaga shoot and she's like, you know, deteriorating and everything. It's just, it's incredible. Like, you, it's, it's really, so realistic. It's yeah. really realistic. And you must have thought on probably not that much of a budget, but a really compelling film um about sort of contemporary selfishness in society and the danger of, of losing your humility and someone who is basically a narcissist but it, yeah really you know, fun it doesn't sound fun does it but... no no but it was, it was really funny at points uh and you, you know what i found really interesting about that is that Obviously, the film follows a couple, uh, mainly. Um, well, it's mainly the girl, her name escapes me now, the character's name. Sing. Sing, that's it. Signe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it follows her and a partner, uh, who, you know, is an actor and a model and all these things. Mm. And he's also a little narcissistic, isn't he? But mm -hmm. just nowhere near as much as she is. And it's, I think it's really clever because it kind of shows the whole spectrum. Mm. It shows her as, like, you know, the worst of the worst because of you know, all the lies and, and the situation she gets herself into. And yeah. throughout it, you kind of don't like the guy, Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, you kind of yeah, don't yeah. like him either because he is narcissistic and they always kind of in battle with each other who's best and who's done more and who's bigger and all these things. But yeah, I think it's really interesting and clever how they've done that because I think it kind of shows a, a, a wide range of the sort of spectrum of narcissism, yeah. I suppose. And jealousy as well. Definitely a film about jealousy. Her motivation is... Like you say, her boyfriend's really successful as a model and artist, and she just can't <laughs> handle no. that in the film. No, and also really good, really good uh, cinematic scenes, like mm. the scene where she's walking through the city after um, the, she works in a cafe, doesn't she? As a barista, and there's an incident at the beginning where a woman's kind of mauled by a dog or whatever, and she's covered in blood as she rushes to help and. Mm. But she just walks through the city like covered in blood and it's like and i just feel again there's no dialogue there in that scene mm. it's just her walking through this busy city and you see all the people kind of looking at her and she's loving it she's loving yeah. this attention and it's so weird but it's yeah it's great great piece of cinema really interesting definitely a uh, black comedy for sure yeah uh, and that is once again Sick of Myself or Seek Pike in the original Norwegian um, but yeah really recommend trying to catch that if you are in Chester um last weekend when we recorded this intro it's actually on now it's on today if you want to go to chester and see it but you can't because that was in the past so check your cinemas it might be on um uh, the penultimate film uh, sam now directed by reed harkness a gripping documentary mainly consisting of home video um and the search for a missing mother that uh, goes awry let's just leave it like that because it's well worth finding i'm sure this is going to come to uk streaming at some point I definitely need to catch this. It, yeah, and it's not a, it's not by any stretch of the imagination a tip, stereotypical um, murder doc or crime doc, anything like that. So if that's not your bag, that's not what this film is at all. Equally, if that is your bag, um, it's really good and it's worth watching outside of that as well. Yes, do, do check that out, guys, absolutely. And so, on to the film we're here to discuss, uh, Every Day in Kamuki. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's about skateboard culture, it's about feeling in between different scenes and communities and it's about um always always 
pushing yourself um, past your limits potentially and certainly not feeling 100% at home in a situation all things that I think I can certainly relate to and I'm sure many people listening can um, but yeah it's director um, Naz Kawakami sat down for a chat with me and uh, it was gorgeous so I'll let you listen let's go listen together now guys we get started properly um i'm here with naz kawakami the screenwriter of everyday in kaimuki um the newly editor of monster children online zine so i want to talk to you about writing i want to talk to you about nostalgia i want to talk to you about uh fiction and non-fiction and the intersection of those different things um and i want to talk to you about film and i want to talk to you about hawaii so a lot of stuff. Um, but first of all, congratulations on the film. Thank you. I just saw it at Manchester Film Festival. And I really loved it, man. Um, it connected with me in a really, really weird way. Uh, we don't share an awful lot of uh, sort of backstory or details together. But I, f- I feel like I found quite a lot of myself in the film anyway. Um, so just briefly on myself. Um, I grew up on the English coast um, in a tiny little town called Skegness. And I moved um, when I turned for university, when I turned 18, to Manchester, um, which you might know, obviously, is a bit a much bigger city. I imagine with your interest in post-punk, you're very familiar with the city. Yeah, very much. So that idea, which is explored throughout the film, of feeling at a loss in the place where you grew up and feeling like a big fish in a small pond um, is something that I really it really f- struck home with me. So yeah, that's a, that's a long way of saying I related to it. And I, I think that's an impressive thing considering how removed I am from the concept. No, that's, that's great, man. I'm glad to hear it. I'm also, uh, yeah, I, I think that my expectations for this film were so low from the jump that whenever someone um, sees it, let alone has anything positive to say, I'm always like, oh yeah, good, good for you. What was, what was the reason you, what was the reason you wrote it? Because obviously for those that don't know, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. It's something that feels like a real passion project. Um, yeah, so the gist is that I, my friend Alika uh, is a talented director in, in uh, Honolulu. And um, during the pandemic, he was supposed to be shooting a feature, but obviously he couldn't, that had to get postponed. So uh, he asked me if I wanted to write a feature that we could just shoot. He, uh, myself, and um, this guy Chapin, who was like the DP on it. Uh, and he, the reason he asked me is because I had like a writing and like theater, theater writing background. And I had also told him that I was moving. And I told him all the reasons why I was moving. And so he was like, oh, let's just like bang this out. It'll be like a fun little project. Um, so we wrote that in... Probably like six days, maybe five or six days. Wow! Uh, and then shot it in like I think there were eight shooting days. Uh, really? That's that's a very quick turnaround. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's not like it was a massive production. It was just myself, mm. Alika, Chapin, and then we had like uh, a couple of assistants. All the cast is, you know, all my co-stars are just my friends. Like everybody who plays mm. my friend is just my friend. 
the record store that's in the movie is also just the record store that I used to go to. The coffee shop is just the coffee shop I used to work at. It was a very small production, but it was sort of easy to make it that way, you know. Do you? And we'll we'll get on to the um, to Monster Children. But if you met if you met someone and you started to describe yourself in terms of your job, your creative pursuits, how would you self-identify? Do you mean like um, like what I walk up to some like say like oh, I'm a, oh, yeah. I edit a magazine? I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I would, um, I don't know. I work at a magazine and mm. I try to not, contrary to me appearing on this podcast, I try not to speak about myself very much. It makes me really uncomfortable, which is also yeah. why this movie made me so uncomfortable that people saw it, um, and yeah. got to know me really well. That kind of freaked me out. Do you think people do come away from it knowing you very well, or do they know a fictionalized version of you? I think that if, I think they know a fictionalized version of me, but I think that through seeing those things, mm. they've gotten to know me very well, whether or not they know it. Um, mm. Like, um, when it first came out, there was, we did a press, we did an interview, and the interviewer was asking me questions about my character, but they were all questions that were very specific to, like, my real life and what I was currently going through, you know? I remember one interviewer, and like, bless his heart, he was asking about the character, uh, but he was like, he was like, did your, did your character's girlfriend ever really love him? And I was like, dude, yeah. that's, that was, this is based, that, like, that part's based on my real life, you know, like, that, yeah, <laughs> certain things like that really stung. So if you watch it's the really film, funny. Uh, like, sorry, sorry. No, it's, no, no. it's really funny because that's I was really carefully wording everything that I've written in my notes to, to, to start <laughs> around that. So in the film, yeah, yeah it does this. this. Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, you do this. Do you know what I mean? It's like that, yeah, the dichotomy of it. And I think as someone who like writes creatively as well, um, like I've published a book this year and it's a book of poetry, which is broadly based on stuff that has happened to me. And so when you, when you do a reading, or we had the book launch and it was brilliant. It was, you know, all of my mates were there. And it's like, I wrote, you're in this poem. <laughs> and it could be really uncomfortable, like, performing it to the people that it's about or around them. Yeah, brutally uncomfortable. When, when you had the the premiere, what, what, where was the premiere? Was it in Hollywood? It premiered at Sundance Film Festival. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And were the, the first time that people who... I suppose a lot of them are in the film, aren't they? Like they play themselves, as you said. But was that was that a weird experience? Going, yeah, that's that's you. That's that's sort of my feelings. How I how I would write you as a character. Do you know what I mean? Well, a lot of um, individuals like uh, had a say in how we wrote them. Um, so, for example, my friend Alec, who appears. Um, He's like a radio DJ. He has an art show. Mm -hmm. That was actually his art show. And those were things that he thought were funny lines. Am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's totally on. Yeah, so when I walk into a radio station and he's DJing already and I'm just saying, like, you know, what the fuck is up, bitch? And, like, yeah. you know, that's the sort of a dynamic. That's what he and I just think that's funny. So as far as mm -hmm. lines go, a lot of it was riffed with my friends. Mm -hmm. Just them being, like... Uh, I wouldn't say it this way. I would say it this way. Like just wording changes, stuff like mm, that. Mm, mm. Um, the 
my co-star uh, Kelly, who played my girlfriend, wasn't actually the girl, obviously. Mm. But um, <laughs> that, would, that would have been a step too far. That would have been weird. <laughs> Very therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but she really took that character on and like made it her own, and mm. to the point that I was comfortable enough where I didn't feel like I was reliving the past. You know, it was like a different person. It felt like a character and not like the girl I dated. So that was very mm. comfortable. But yeah, that a, a lot of the actors actually had like notes, ideas, and participated in the forming of their characters. Mm. I wonder, a lot of the film is based around this idea of sort of skateboard culture and alternative music. And this is the sort of, parts of it that really drew drew me into it at first because as like i mentioned earlier growing up in skegness seaside town not an island obviously but isolated in that same way um i think england's perception of isolation is really funny when you compare it to america because it's like the the big the big city was like an hour's drive away which is nothing but it felt <laughs> like an ocean at yeah, the time yeah um especially because our driving our driving age is a little bit higher than yours so it felt really isolated and we're about the same age. So when I was growing up in that time period, it was a lot of like monster energy, Vans Warped Tour, skateboarding, all of these things um, played into my, my childhood, my adolescence. I wonder if that sort of culture had an effect on you at the time. Like what were you like as a kid? Uh, as a kid, as like a kid kid? Like elementary and... Uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, 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 uh, like middle, middle school, school, I guess what you call it. Like, oh, starting from teenager. teenager. Dude, I was fucking so whack. I was just like <laughs> the wackest kid. Like, I sucked as, a, as like a child. <laughs> that's, the, that's the next film, is it? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I, I was just... I didn't have... I just didn't like have uh, any idea what was going on. Or what mm. was cool. I knew what I thought mm. was cool, but nobody else in my school did. And it turned out, you know how everyone's like, um, all these, all these, all my peers don't get it. They're not, they're not punk. But like, I wasn't punk either. Like, yeah. Yeah. I genuinely, yeah, yeah, yeah. the stuff I was interested in was not cool, objectively. Um, uh, so I didn't have any friends until like high school. I was just mm. sort of like a loner until I was like 14, maybe in ninth grade, maybe mm. 10th grade. And then I started skating with this group of kids who were as weird as I was. And you, you bond in that way, don't you? You find your tribe of people who are all equally just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always gone along really well with people who are very um, uh, specific in their mm. interests. And the kids that I was skating with every day were very specific in that they... Um, wholeheartedly devoted themselves to skateboarding mm -hmm. and uh much like your experience we didn't really have a lot in terms of skateboarding uh like cultural exposure you know mm -hmm. was, this is also like right before youtube and social media started to become a huge mm -hmm. thing so our kind of skating is even today in honolulu like the kind of skating you do there is very like not nor like there's the spots are shit no pros really want to go there no companies so you, you don't really see a lot firsthand you can't just make it up as you go i picked up on that in the film um and it's a character that i related to quite heavily i don't know if this is intentional or if it's just a, a um 
an element of using non-actors, I guess, which is that there's there's one character who's just clearly not as good as the others are skating. Is it me? Um, is it, it might be you. I can't quite remember who it was. It's in, it's in the it's in the situations where you you're doing like um like games and tricks and stuff, and you, the camera pans and follows them. Mm. And it might it might well be you now. It's probably me, man. The the cinema. And it re- I really related to that because that was me. Like I was really interested in the culture and, and I wanted to be a part of it, but I was shit at actually doing it. So, <laughs> and it's just those little things. I was like, yeah, man, that's that's good. That's me. I relate to it. It's funny that in that indie film way, it doesn't look perfect and it makes it all the more relatable. No, because I feel like you can't, and I include myself in, in this, in my film, you can't make a good skateboarding film because anything mm. you make will glamorize it. By virtue of it just being captured on film. And skateboarding at its core is so unglamorous and mm. uncool. Uh, and that's almost why I love the scene of Honolulu is because you could suck. I suck. But yeah. no one's giving me a hard time about that. You know, They'll still clap mm. for me if I do a tail slide. So. Whereas um, like the depictions of media and skateboarding or any subculture really is like mm. the best of the best. Sort of like cheesy almost mm. it's got the it's got the edges sanded off yeah it's not the reality you know mm. um mm. and when yeah the clip there's a clip of me falling in there that i think is very funny i think, I think that's, that's probably the one that's come to mind yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a i, I think that. there's a clip of me falling i fall on my back and i just stay on the ground <laughs> <laughs> i'm out i'm done man <laughs> yeah 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 that i was i didn't get to see yeah that, that was pretty funny that they included that of all of all the clips i did you know like i actually did tricks and they filmed it and they're like we're not gonna put any of those in mm. how <laughs> involved were you in the shooting process with a with a, a film this small so behind the cameras looking at the dailies things like this i did not i'm the i did not want to see <laughs> i didn't want to see myself i still don't i don't consider mm. myself an actor it was just a mm. circumstance of shooting in a pandemic and not having any money. It was just, mm. who's going to do this except for me, you know? Mm. Um, and Alika always likes to use non-actors. Um, but no, I, I actively avoided seeing what things actually looked like. And I, I didn't watch the film. I still haven't seen it all the way through, to be honest with you. I've seen, um, mm. yeah, I saw the trailer. I saw the opening and closing credits. <laughs> Even at the premiere, you're just like, just out there. Oh, yeah, I was eating dinner while I was playing. <laughs> and then I came back. What were you eating? Can you remember? Uh, I think I was eating, like, fried rice. So it could be around, like, Chinese food. Amazing. Uh, you know what? It's a, it's a good use of your time. Yeah, eating Chinese food, drank a beer, and then came back into the Q&A. Um, I mean, you've lived it as well. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I, I wrote the script. I don't need to see the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%, man. It's, uh, it is funny, that idea of watching yourself back or... Or reading yourself back, and again, just to link it back to that, those ideas of the poetry performances. It is funny that because when you're trying to get booked for gigs, you need to have material that's like re- recorded and filmed and send it off, and it's a lot of like bigging yourself up, which sort of comes around to the next thing. Yeah, that you've touched on it already. Like you don't consider yourself an actor. Do you think it's something you're going to pursue again? Do you think it was like this is my story? I need to be in part of it. Nobody else is going to do it. We ain't got time. We ain't got the money. Because uh-huh. you're good in the film. Like, oh, you are portraying yourself or a version of yourself, but you are a believable actor. You're kind to lie. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I've done, 
I have acted, uh, but not really. I enjoy it. I hate attention, but I enjoy acting. Um, (laughs) And so, like, in college, I was taking a lot of, like, theater theory courses, just about not... Mm. Not so much like performing on stage, but how the stories work and why. Mm. And um, just the, so we'd perform stuff like within the class, like a 10 person class rather mm. than on stage, you know, and that, that was very enjoyable. I, I very low stakes. I loved that. I hate playing myself. That sucks. Um, especially when it's things that are like very personal to me or that I don't like to think about very much. And then it's like, all right, all of today, we're going to shoot that scene over and over and over again from different <laughs> angles. <laughs> Do you remember that time when you went on a drunken rampage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> remember that time when you were just fucking pathetic? We're going to do that today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good times. <laughs> You're one of, the, one of the co-stars of the film. Um, Hayden, who plays Caden. Um, oh, Holden. 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 Yeah. Holden. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Holden, who plays, who plays Caden. Mm-hmm. He also composed the music, right? He did. Yeah. Was that, were you always planning on, because the music I think is a really vital part of the film. It's, it's part of what gives it its sort of shoegazy, dreamy aesthetic and it, it, it hangs it together. Was it always intentional that you were going to like have someone create stuff for it or was there a chance where you were going to look at licensing music? Um, well, Again, um, it's amazing what you can do with no money. Mm. Uh, so Holden made Holden composed, much to his credit, a significant and like an album's worth of music mm. in a short amount of time that I'm just baffled by. Um, but that was always sort of the idea was to use people who were sort of around, like around the film. A lot of my mm. friends in Honolulu are in bands and make music anyway. Some of them appear in the film. Um, so most, I want to say 90% of the soundtrack is Honolulu artists. Um, mm. And that, that, of course, is a money thing because you don't have to pay for licensing. But it's also because uh, Hawaii is so insulated that we have a really specific counterculture. Mm. And as much as I can highlight that specificity in any capacity I'd like to, whether it be skating, music, art, whatever, you know. There was a there was a point where we were like, I think we might have gotten like a we came into like a little bit of money and we were like, oh, should we get like a fancy mm. like a fancy song for this? Should we like email the strokes? Yeah. And then that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we were like, that would be too on the nose and cheesy and like embarrassing. Let's not we don't want we're not gonna just for the final scene in New York. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That that felt way too. It zooms out to a sixteen by nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That would have been just uh, embarrassing. And it, it really, I just wanted to talk to the strokes. Like that's all it came down to. Um, <laughs> Even if they just say no. Yeah, just to be like, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank I you really for saying. Appreciate it. Thank you for knowing my name. <laughs> it's um, it's funny. I wonder a couple of years on from it. Because it is, like you've just said, like it feels like a love letter to a place and to a time and to a people. But obviously, the ultimate decision that you made and what we see in the, the climax of the film is that that, that place is, is left behind, maybe temporarily, maybe 
for a longer term basis. Do you think you would have made the film if you hadn't have moved away? Uh, no. Hmm. I think I would have been like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so strange when you think about it because I'm adamant about it not being a reflection of me in real life. Hmm. I'm adamant about it fundamentally being a fabrication or a version. Hmm. But for some reason, the authenticity of that move in real life, for the real life me, was like vital. Because hmm. um, there was a moment where uh, I was like, shit, like I don't have any money. I can't really afford to leave. I'm also just sort of crushed in leaving. I was there like a couple weeks before I actually did leave. I was like, "Is this a good move? Like, this is this a? Am I just fucking destroying my life? I got a pretty sweet deal in Honolulu as it is. Like, why? Why am I just like upending my life for this?" Um, but uh, I had already booked the plane ticket, so there was no going back <laughs> at that point, and paid for my cat to fly as well, which was an exorbitant amount of money. Um, and I just sort of did a trick, like a mental trick, where I did not think about it. I didn't think about leaving until I had already left. Mm. So I, I, all the anxiety and like worry I felt about fucking ruining my life, I put into filming. And that's mm. when I would get to feel those things. And then once shooting was done, I was like, this, I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna think about it, you know? Mm. Then I was in New York in an empty room with no bed and no furniture and my cat. And well, this is it and a fresh start. So, because we we are a, we're a writing podcast, we're not a, we're not a pop culture podcast, we're not a film podcast. So, when you found yourself in New York for the first time, you've got, as you said, an empty apartment, an empty bed, a cat, and uh, by the seams of the film, a very friendly um, apartment mate. Love Maddie, yeah, love Maddie to death, dudes. Still the same. Maddie? Yeah. Oh, he's great. Still, still sharing the apartment, still. Everything's the. Oh, he's not. He was never my roommate. He was just a homie. Ah, uh, okay, sweet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Everyone thinks that uh, that's my room. Like, people will come yeah, visit yeah, me from yeah, Honolulu yeah, yeah. and be like, where's that guy? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Probably with his girlfriend somewhere in an apartment. <laughs> okay. Amazing. So we've got, we've got this situation where you've arrived. And you, like you say, um, Everything it like there's several clips in the film which are re reflective of a real life experience where you've you've built up this reputation in Honolulu. You 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 know the guys who are in the record store. You clearly are respected at the radio station, and then you move in. It, well, <laughs> it's like an asshole, that's how it yeah. comes across. <laughs> <laughs> and like you say, it's an insular community where they like sort of alternative scene. Everyone knows each other, and then you find yourself in in New York. Um, how do you go about? establish establishing yourself as you know a writer a person who's interested in in skateboarding in the alternative scenes in a brand new place within such a like hugely magnified version of what you had before i don't know that i in real life i don't know that i have mm. done that mm. i think that i'm the deputy editor of a really cool magazine and i through that job get to talk to my heroes which was mm the reason I became a writer, I wanted to talk to bands and I wanted to think mm. of a reason to talk to bands. And now I got to do that, but at the same time, 
the scope of New York is so enormous that mm. no one can be the king, so to speak, or queen. Mm. And everybody who like claims that they are, they're like full of shit because they're they're definitely not. It's it's too enormous, and the cultures are too dense and not necessarily good. I have a lot of complaints. I talk a lot of shit about New York, uh, <laughs> especially like the alternative scenes, just because. Oh wait, hold on. It's a. Uh, there we go. Now we're still recording. Okay, I just want to make sure. Sweet. Uh, had a had a moment there. Um, but you don't know. Like, there's no way to. There's no way to do that. I've established my little corner with my little friends, mm. and I know like. I know the guy who at the who owns the coffee shop by my house, and that says yeah. I'm comfortable with that because that's essentially what I had in Honolulu. It's like the same scale. Um, of comfort and like insular bubble it's like I moved from one island to another in that way where it's mm. I kind of just stay within my my zone um it's a really nice idea that I think I mean everyone's on their own island aren't they like it's in some way shape or form you look at Manchester you look at London for our examples like you say they're so overwhelming and there's so many subcultures that you cannot be involved in all of them so you do just find your your tribe your island and stick within it. There's a movie called SLC Punk that I saw when I was like 12, maybe. Have you seen that movie? Hmm. I've not seen this movie. Tell me about it. Oh my God. It's so, it's insane. It's about, it's like the premise is that it's 1980. There are mm-hmm. two punk rockers in Salt Lake City, Utah, mm-hmm. and they are the only two. And um, it creates, the movie creates this sort of like, the joke is that SLC is such a shit town and it's like just boring but within this town as they're talking shit there are also like mods and uh, skinheads and like you know metalheads and all these weird subgenres. Um, and I was like and the punk the two punks knew everybody in those tribes and I was like oh that's what it's like you know I thought I was gonna move to New York and meet mods um, but I don't I, they're not here like that that sort of like knowing everybody that doesn't exist man like there's mm-hmm. no and that caused me so much anxiety of being like I'm missing out like the idea of FOMO in like a subcultural sense mm-hmm. of like I'm not I'm not the coolest guy I don't know where the good parties are you know that's a thing that I think I experienced that's what every, that's what everyone's thinking isn't it like everyone. that's what absolutely everyone's thinking and yeah, is, there is that the answer is there is no cool parties there's just the ones that you are invited to yeah and that's what I was trying to write into the script a lot was like yeah I know I know these people but you don't get to see like there's a lot of stuff that if you watch the film again that we kind of pass by mm. uh, but don't address you know what mm. I mean because like oh we don't know that guy like that kind of yeah. shit, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Even, well, even the, the fleeting um, moments that we spend in, in the art show, you get the idea that there's a much bigger world that sort of exists here, and we could, we could spend half an hour inside the set, but we don't. We go in, we go out. Because we're not comfortable, because you don't know everybody. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, exactly. And it, rem- it does, it reminds me of situations that I've been in where you sort of go, oh, I know that guy, I'll swing by. And then you don't know anybody else in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like your space anymore. Totally. And I think one really good piece of writing advice that I got when I was in college from my professor was when you're writing things and you're drawing from life, don't, don't, two things, don't be kind 
And don't mm -hmm. only write the things that make you comfortable. Write about the stuff that you don't know. Write about the things... Because mm. um, I don't know what it's like to be a doctor, but I can write about... Um, I can write about the experience of not knowing what it's like to be a doctor, or I don't know mm. everybody at this party or this art show, but I can write about the experience of not knowing everybody at this party and art show. And through mm. that experience, that subject, and tell that story in a, in a different way, a different angle, you know? Mm. And it comes across much more um, authentic than yeah, someone, someone who is putting on this sheen of, yeah, yeah, we've all done that, we've all been there, when the reality is that very few people are in that situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. The world is a horrible, anxious place, and I seek to <laughs> expose that as often as I can. <laughs> it's a good strap line. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that yeah. very much. Um, <laughs> as a co-writer, like you've said that it was um, the director who came to you with the pitch, and how did you decide, like, this is the seven days that I think we're going to zoom in on? I appreciate that you think we gave it that much thought. <laughs> okay, good. That's a good answer, man. <laughs> I think we were like, oh, well, we're writing this in seven days, so why don't we write a day per day? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it was very almost nonsensical and being like, um, well, we can't, we only shot, we only wrote things uh, that we thought were practical in that very moment that we were writing it. So mm -hmm. I would be like, can we shoot a scene at Hungry Ear? Let me text the record store and find out right mm -hmm. now. And if mm -hmm. they say yes right now, then we'll write the scene. Mm. It was very much mm. that. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's inspirational, man. Like, you might not think it, but that's, it's guerrilla filmmaking and it's doing it on the job. What? It's just, I came away from it, honestly, and just going, right... I need to make a film now. And it's, it's ridiculous yeah. because I, I imagine you get this as well. And it's that idea of always wanting to add more to the plate. You know, always there's, if someone says to you, something to you, let's do this. It's like, right, fine, let's do this. And then you get it done. And yeah. it seems like that same philosophy was, was sort of employed throughout this. Yeah. Um, but even that is like a DIY, like mm. punk aesthetic that I think, I grew up with just from being into the music that I like and skating. Mm. When my twenties, mm. I was really into like throwing parties and shows and just trying to do, just do more. Like you said, add to the plate, you know? And, um, I also, Alika's uh, the director is a very professional man. He's very good at, he's a pro, you know, he like makes actual things. Whereas I've always made like, halfway cool things so um we yeah. went we, yeah, we, yeah. Like, we went with my approach which turned out very well i think we only spent like uh to film that we spent like 700 dollars, maybe wow that is and it was at sun and it premiered at sundance yeah no. well i know that post-production coloring all that stuff editing costs more money but mm. and like you know fees to enter festivals but the sh actual shooting, we didn't ask permission to shoot at, like, the skate park or, mm. like, pay for a permit. We also only shot at places that we could, that we could. Mm. Um, like, at that, when we shot the coffee shop, they didn't charge us. I just bought, like, mm. $200 worth of shit. And, <laughs> you know, like, that's just to be like, thank you, you know. Yeah, um, and that's their expenses covered for the day, so. Totally, yeah. That was their hour. Um, shot 
all that in my apartment that was just like my apartment mm-hmm. as I was clearing shit. With the with the art show, was that something that was an art show that people could have attended? That was, was it for, that yeah. For you or was it, yeah. That was a that was my friend Alex Singer's art show at a Puni Space that people were currently attending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we were like, oh, let's just bring a camera, and we'll tell Alec to take twenty minutes to to do this thing. Yeah, um, yeah. God bless them. Like every everybody who really lent us their space and their time, even like their T-shirts. Like we all the clothes we're wearing are like made by our friends and all the brands, even the board brands that we were skating on were like just our friends. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you want to plug them? Let's, let's hear it. Who um, are they, who are first of all, uh, Pantheon, which is Holden, my co-stars, uh, design brand, uh, Overmind is another one in Honolulu that gave us some clothes. Napalm, uh, skateboards, APB skate shop. Is there another one? Oh, Treehouse Hawaii, the camera store. Yeah. Incredible. That yeah, I love it. That like you say, it, it does definitely it definitely comes from that DIY punk aesthetic that that is from it embeds in, in yourself from from your young age, like you say, like when you were in middle school thinking you were punk and growing up and yeah. I imagine slowly finding more um obscure and, and more interesting stuff. Where where did you start with music? You you said that your original self wasn't um wasn't as cool as he thought he was. What what did you used to be into? Uh, you know, I I uh, sixth grade I was really into Ozzy Osbourne and Led Zeppelin and The mm-hmm. Doors. My brother, my older brother, was very cool, and he's like significantly older than me. He's like eleven years older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he would go and buy CDs and put them on. He'd like download them onto his Xbox, and I would just listen to them off of that. Um, wow, that's a yeah, sad about, yeah. 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 yeah, and then as I was listening, I'd read, because I, w- I had no friends. I also wasn't really allowed out of the house uh, until I was, like, 14 to go and be social after school. And I grew up very impoverished, so there wasn't much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just reading, like, liner notes of these CDs and being like, what do what does Iggy Pop have to say? And then I'd read us, mm-hmm. like, a... Uh, I don't know, like a Lou Reed thing, and Lou Reed would be talking about mm-hmm. Iggy Pop, and I would just find all these webs of, of things. Um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of how I started getting interested in music. And then I was always a shit musician, so didn't really do good in bands, but really liked it and really wanted to support it. Um, so I'd throw a lot of, like, shows in garages and in, like, coffee shops, wherever they would let me throw a party i would just throw a party there and invite mm-hmm. like every band and be like if you bring your own shit you can play 20 minute set have a great time mm-hmm. you know um which i think is like the all ages show the free all ages show i think is like the bedrock of any healthy music scene in any city there's like mm-hmm. not enough of them you know yeah that is it's a, i think it's especially an american thing um because you guys have more like youth spaces or, or churches or, or whatever is facilitating this than than we do um our grassroots stuff is it's, it's almost always in pubs it's always always in the back of the back or a basement of a pub and you get kids going in who can't buy a drink they're not 18 but they're putting they're putting on the show they're playing you know, but 16, they can go 17 in. years old but they, they can go in they can play the show but but the but the atmosphere is different because it feels like you're in 
an adult space, you know? It feels like you're almost, it, it feels illicit even though it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that entrance and that sort of shaking hands with danger almost as in your youth mm. is sort of part of uh, participating in a counterculture and being sort of seduced by it in the way that I mm. was just getting in, like, I remember getting snuck into 21-year-old venues, drinking age venues, mm. when I was like 16. Mm. And it's being like, this is fucking crazy. Like, this is nothing like prom, dude. Like, this is insane shit. Um, and when you look back at it now, it's literally just people just having a pie. It was just a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It's just a Tuesday at some shitty dive bar, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at that age, you're so like, wow, you know? And that's... Yeah, you're, you're entranced by things, aren't you? In a way that you, you become a lot more cynical as, as you grow up. Yeah, even writing. I remember writing plays and movies and stuff like as a teenager and being really into um, telling stories that like I thought were funny. Um, and that sort of glamour and satisfaction I got out of just making jokes in writing, like with words, with imaginary voices was very... You know, that, that's what kind of brought me into my actual formal education of learning how to write, learning how to write in college. Mm. Is that what you did? To, I, I still don't fully understand the American system. You, where did you go to uni? I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, mm -hmm. which was like six blocks away from my house. Incredible. Wow. So that's, so you're 18, 19 years old? No, I was a little bastard when I was... 18 and 19 years old. I didn't go to I didn't go to school after high school. I graduated with the my diploma and then I took like community college for a semester and I mm. I took the assistance money for the college and then I just like didn't fucking go to class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I flunked out and then I took like two two or three years off and just mm. like messed around with my friends and took photos and threw parties and then went back at 21, I want to say, 22 or 21, mm -hmm. to actually, like, try to get a bachelor's degree um, in creative writing. In creative writing. Okay, amazing. And that was that where the sort of writing about shows, writing about music, was that where that started to blossom, or had that already started to happen for you? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I was talking about this with somebody else the other day, how, how much of... And, then, like, it's fine now. But how much of my life choices and, like, my trajectory has been based around, like, oh, that girl will think this is cool, which is, <laughs> like, such an unhealthy way to live. Um, but at the time, I was, like, there's a really good magazine in Honolulu called Flux that was all about art, music, mm. culture. Um, and I knew that this girl liked that magazine, so I was, like, I'm, I'll write. I'm a writer. So I emailed them and asked for an internship, and I got it. And like yeah, that tumbled into me getting a full time job there, and then moving to New York, and but yeah, like as as awful as that is, like I don't feel bad about the way it turned out because it turned it turns out that I love journalism, I love writing about music, mm -hmm. you know, I love making fun of things, which is a great you know plus when you're writing about mm -hmm. horrible artists and bad singles and mm -hmm. you know embarrassing parties. I read your interview with Wetleg the other day, um, which that the ascendancy of, of that band has been remarkable um, so fast. And uh, when I was reading through your, your questions, 
you know, that idea that you've talked about of that sort of slightly dark humor, slightly sort of satirical um, way of talking does come across. Have you had a best or worst experience with, with interviewing someone? Um, I just interviewed Snail Mail mm. last week, and that article came out on the web to last night, I think. That was one of the best interviews just because it was a very relaxed setting, and um, it, 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 we got to, into talking about things that I think a lot of artists are not wanting to talk about, mm. uh, especially with like PR just being like, oh, this will be, this will be tweeted about, or, you know, mm -hmm. this will offend someone on something, and, you know, not in, like, a, a wokeness way, so much as a way of, like, I don't like that song, or that artist is bad, or, like, this genre. Yeah, of music. 100%. I mean, Snail Mail's got form with saying some stuff that's, that's been semi-controversial in, like, the indie scene, I guess, as well, like, I'm thinking about her interactions with Phoebe Bridges and things like that. Mm. But it's, it's, I guess there must be an angst from PR these days because of how quickly sort of snippets or micro snippets of interviews can, can blow up without the context of the rest of the article. But I, you know, when I talk to an artist, I want to get to know them. I don't just, mm. I don't want to just talk about their latest album or their creative mm -hmm. process. I mean, I do want to talk about those things, but not just that. I'd like to know what's on their writer and what they do in their spare time what their hobbies are and how those hobbies influence their music. Mm. And I feel like that's sort of the, the profiling of artists is sort of like not in vogue anymore. It, it was big mm. in like the seventies and eighties and like Korean magazine and Rolling Stone about like really getting to know these people. Mm. Um, and not just like versions of them. Much like my, my movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Look at that. We all link back. I read was it Rolling Stone or was it NME? It was one of the two. It was the Boy Genius um, cover spread that they did where they did the Nirvana poses. Yeah, Rolling Stone, I think. It was Rolling Stone. And they that bio, that, that um, day in the life sort of style of piece really struck with me. I, I think you can really tell when a writer is doing the, their job properly because you feel like you are getting to know someone even from like a removed third person perspective and yeah because this is a writing podcast right this is like mm -hmm. writing yeah. focused all of writing unless it's non-fiction actually a lot of the time it's non-fiction is just about um telling a story making mm. a narrative you know and if i'm reading a album review and the album review is very analytical without any sort of personality or tinge i'm probably gonna stop reading there's a book mm. that's called how to write about music that i bought i think it's like i think it's 33 and a third that made it mm -hmm. oh i i've got their um the miles davis one which is absolutely great and the jay Diller one as well yeah incredible um publication probably. but all those uh like all the reviews they feature they explain that context is necessary with an album. So it's not just like mm -hmm. this chord progression was good. It's like, why did they write that? What were they feeling at that time? Mm -hmm. What is the intention behind the music rather than just the music components, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in, in understanding that. Like, Snail Mail, Lindsay just made an album about a breakup she went through. And mm -hmm. that is pertinent and relevant in the story of that music and will affect how I listen to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I... 
I feel like the storytelling of writing, especially in like digital editorial age, is sort of like going away or be- becoming. Yeah, I think it's it's people searching for for two things. One is for brevity. People don't have the time or don't feel like they have the time to dedicate to read into yeah a two three page feature spread. And it's it is it's people searching for like clickbait, isn't it? And rather than spending the time and getting digging into like the background of someone, they'd rather try and get them to say something controversial and yeah, plug that for clicks, which is which is sad. Which is also my job is to make it like how can I get to know somebody really fucking quickly, um, mm. and that's also a talent in movies. There's always like in a script. There's always in like a classic like. That movie Dodgeball, remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Um, you get to know the main character in the first one minute because the structure mm-hmm. of that script is always like, guy wakes up, you see his hand turn the alarm clock off, it's late, and the so exactly. it's that detail you get to see it's late in the afternoon, his apartment is messy. You get to know like that. That's like a really really. Have you seen the British film Hot Fuzz? I live for hot fuzz, yes, man. Please. Yes, please. That is the best example of that. Um, yeah. Every time. Yeah. The first the opening montage of like one minute and you you are set with that character. You understand him and you're you're off on that journey. The, the, the beauty of that in that first five minutes of that movie is that mm. you are given his entire resume mm. and you're given nothing else. So what mm. is important to this man is his resume and not his mm. person. And then it's all taken away from him. And you said you're on ground zero, yeah. Dude, no, I, I fucking have listened to every podcast Edgar Wright's been on. I've picked that <laughs> script apart, like printed it out and like highlighted and annotated. I Really? That's fascinating, yeah. Like, no, it's, it's, it's the, the perfect, perfect comedy script. script. And, and it's, it's also a brilliant action film as well. It's perfectly perfectly written as well yeah it's an unbelievable feat that film yeah even um like hot fuzz i'm like or i'm uh sean the dead i'm just like yeah i saw that at a very tender age i think i was like 10 or 11 and i was like this can this can be funny like this this can be this like scary and like palm sweaty but also Mm. like i'm crying laughing man Mm. and it doesn't back away from the moments of intensity as well no the the feelings Yeah, it reflects back on what you were saying earlier, I guess, which is right about what you don't know. You know, we don't know what it's going to be like to live in a zombie apocalypse. I've no idea. Neither do these characters. Let's see them figure it out. And that's why it works. There's also something that I think is really important that gets lost on a lot of people who are writing something for the first time or they haven't gotten there yet. And it's Mm. that um, if you're writing a drama, a horror, a comedy, a romance, at the end of the day kind of just want to have a laugh right like mm. and maybe not like a physical actual laugh but you want to be charmed and i think that um yeah the approach that edgar wright and simon Pegg had when they made charm of the dead was like this is going to be a heartfelt movie but it's mm. going to have enough of silliness and reality to be charming you know it's not just a slapstick comedy. It's not just a gore fest. It's like, well, something else. You know what I mean? It's having that genre element as well and not shying away from it. Um, I think it's there's been a bit of a, a renaissance of um, whodunit stuff after in sort of the wake of like Knives Out 
um, which I love. I'm all for a good who done it because it's you know the beats and it's predictable, but the that allows space for like you say the character journeys. Yeah, because we're so familiar with the tropes of it, we don't have to worry about the structure. We all know the structure. We know what's going to happen at the end. Yeah, yeah. So we're on the character journey. Have you, have mm. you seen Brick by any chance? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, from the guy who did Looper. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Alarm clock. Brick is like. Brick to me is like a perfect um, noir script because it is like you just said. It's a structure. I know what's coming, but because the characters themselves are so interesting, I'm sticking mm. with this. You know what I mean? Mm. From their language to their physical health being deteriorated it's mm, mm. it's it's just like a, a flat easy thing it's like a, a pizza and you're just adding toppings like you know it's a pizza but mm. you, you have the space to just keep <laughs> that might be a bad analogy but it's, it's no i like it I, I think yeah it's good you don't don't fuck with the i, I don't want a pizza made of a pancake like i don't want pepperoni on my pancake i, I, I don't want a fucking tomato on my uh no i've stretched it too far but you get the idea <laughs> Man, it's like it's so approachable and understood and it gives you space to add the pieces to make it special with characters mm. you know mm. Mm. building books yeah that's a really nice idea um when it comes to the non-fiction stuff and the script writing how similar or different is the process obviously a script is, is likely going to be longer um but is there that element of planning do you sit down do you plan it through do you decide on that narrative arc that you're going to look at on, on both pieces or, or are they completely different? I, um, for scripting the process, it's different. Yeah. If I'm writing, if I'm doing journalism, especially if it's something serious like war or economics, things like that, mm. I really have yeah. to map out, um, like an outline, like this paragraph is going to say this, uh, first and last sentence. I take it really seriously because there's some integrity to it. Mm. Um, and otherwise, I just am too intimidated to even begin reporting on it. Mm. Um, I feel like having an outline really helps me because I can like slide things around and make it flow better if I need to. But it's visual and it's there. It's like having a guide. Uh, for script writing, I fucking hate um, structure and I hate post-it notes, scenes. Even though we did that for the for the... Uh, every day in Kamaki, we did like post-it note scenes that we would put everywhere. When you have a hundred fucking post-it notes, it's mm. not a very good visual aid. Um, <laughs> and same goes for like um, plotting out stuff in scripts. Like even in the plays I've written, I don't enjoy. Uh, like I know how it's going to end, and I know how it's going to start, and then everything in the middle, I just kind of type it chronologically, or I'll have like, oh, I want, I want this joke to be exist somewhere in here. Um, there it is. Uh, mm. I'll I'll just place it wherever it ends up needing to be, which is I I got that from uh, Taika. Taika does it that way as well. Mm. Where he'll he'll just type. He just won't stop typing, and allowing uh, for spontaneity uh, in plot, which I think is really interesting because I don't I don't hear that very often. Mm. I wonder. I see. I feel very differently after. Have you watched the latest Thor film? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that's not Taika. 
I think I don't count mm. Marvel as as Taika films. I think of mm. like Boy and Eagle vs. Shark. Eagle vs. Shark mm. was probably the most influential movie for me. Uh, period. I think. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because that was also done on like a shoestring budget, and a lot of it was just about being very dedicated to the bit, like committed to the mm-hmm. bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I respect that very much. It's very heartfelt. It doesn't shy away from being campy. Um, it has seriousness in it. Like, dude, his, like, there's some serious mental health stuff. Like, his brother committed suicide. And there's all a st- spoiler, but... Yeah, uh, he is, well, just as a writer in, in all of his, across his filmography, he is someone who balances emotion um, with levity in a really, really Im- impressive way. So, did you see a uh, hunt for the wilder people? Yeah, that's my favorite of his. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's devastating towards the towards the conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me- remember, um, uh, Beth. Beth. This is a mm-hmm. spoiler for those who haven't seen. Beth passes away, <laughs> and uh, it's painful. It's like we've mm. only known this character for ten minutes, but it's still devastating because of how charming mm. she's been. But then at the funeral, it's Taika like doing the worst eulogy on earth mm. about Jesus, and it's like such a strange place to put a joke. But it's also what makes that whole thing work. You know what I mean? And it tells you more about their about their potential life together, even though you don't see it, because that is what people do. You know that like people exist in dark places and in in moments of levity that only certain people would understand um, yeah totally. they, they don't talk in sort of scripted phrases um i love aaron sorkin think, but yeah yeah well this is it and that exists in a different sort of type of filmic language that's almost like a completely different thing bar the fact that it's filmed i guess like the social network is in my top five films i, I adore that film but it's in, it's impossible to compare it to like mumblecore if you'll use that term reality like mm, it's just mm, it's just mm. not newsroom is my favorite show right mm. behind community probably community's favorite show than newsroom but mm. i don't watch newsroom because i'm like oh this will be relatable i watch it because i want to <laughs> watch superhero versions of myself perform the news mm. you know mm. like i don't i watch marvel movies and i watch aaron sorkin scripts and to me they're on like the same level mm. And which is funny because if you stretch that, you can include people like Tarantino and Scorsese in there as well, despite his objections to that. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, nothing in a Scorsese film is grounded in any way. Or uh, Paul Thomas Anderson as well. Is, mm. is, he mm. definitely uh, doesn't exist in the real world. There's enough, like, it's not surreal, it's just sort of. It's adjacent, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's almost uncanny. It sort of mm. puts me off almost in moments where I'm like, he just punched through a wall. Like, how, yeah. how did he just punch through a wall? I think I took a long time to get used to that. Um, when I was in college, like sixth form college, before university, I took a film studies course. Um, and I was really like resistant to anything that wasn't like a gritty British drama. Really. <laughs> Um, the sort of stuff that we grew up on um, that had that really naturalistic dialogue. So I was like, well, that's just not how people talk. 
but then you but then the sort of the teacher of the class was like yeah but 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 that's not the purpose of it it doesn't exist to be a mirror of the world in the same way as something um as, as some things do it exists as as a heightened version of reality and i was like yeah okay fine i can get on board with that now yeah it's like going and seeing a band live that is mm. very theatrical and it requires mm. you you have to buy into it or mm. you have to you have to go with them on the journey of the bit otherwise you're just like the fuck is this like this is awful mm. you know yeah. like unless you can recognize that it's camp and that they're it's on purpose mm. you know what i mean that's the, it's, it's the, the difference, difference between, between like the, the early sort of black Sabbath like stuff and Ozzy Osbourne's later career I guess to bring it back around to someone yeah. who yeah. we were talking about earlier like that, that sense of theatricality and biting bats heads and things is very far removed from like a gritty industrial Birmingham town I mean look at uh, Arctic Monkeys man like where they started mm. they started mm. as a very sincere direct uh, snarky indie band and now they're um, in sort of like a space age lounge era mm. of music making which i love i genuinely mm. i enjoy it very much but when you watch music videos like um last shadow puppets music videos mm -hmm. alex turner's in like a big wig with a fake tan like it's a bit <laughs> and if you just look at it you're like this he's lost his mind but once mm. you buy into the bit and recognize that it's like surreal almost mm. you're like oh this is amazing and that he's in in a way that's closer to his reality now than if he continued to sort of cosplay as like a working class northerner because that's not his lifestyle anymore no so it wouldn't be authentic anyway so why not stretch yourself and try something new they're not manchester right? they're uh sheffield sheffield yeah right, yeah. right, right. yeah good band good band one of my top bands mm. yeah it's um Weirdly, AM is is my favorite of theirs, and it's probably the most like milk toast. It's probably the middle of the road, but I th I think it's just painted with brilliant riffs. Like every single track on that is just a radio rock banger, and I've got time for a radio rock banger when it's written well. <laughs> <laughs> the space age stuff I can't get on board with. The early the early it's stuff I really like, but you yeah, can't get AM, on board man. with the space age. Ah, it's, it's, it's too pretentious. Get the it's fuck too... on board, man. What do you mean? It's so good. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's because he's not. Maybe it's his voice has changed too much for me. May I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just. But the pretension is a is the, the point. point. Yeah, like yeah. It, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a character act, you know. Also, this conversation that you and I are having right now would have been in the script of that movie like <laughs> there alika there would be empty pages on the script and alika would be like just talk about bands mm. and then he'd walk away he'd just be like just do the thing where you talk about music mm. and it, i would be talking to holden about lou reed for fucking like 30 minutes when you first grill him when he first arrives at the radio station how much of that was none of that was on the script no no <laughs> No. <laughs> Poor guy, guy man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to be in this movie. I definitely wanted him to be like way more uh, innocent, almost seeming like. Mm. You know, he comes across that way, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though he's like a bit older than me and better at skating and like just generally cooler, in my opinion, I wanted him to be a bit naive, almost, mm. um, and sort of just like follow me. And I wanted the version of me to be an asshole who enjoyed that 
Mm. You know, so there's a reason I kind of toured him around. Um, but yeah, like they were like, they're like, just talk to him about whatever. Just if you were an asshole who's, you know, training your replacement, just just do that. And it's mm. you know, I it's not just Alika, it's myself as well being like, we didn't have time to write this part, so. We'll just <laughs> seven days something happens you know yeah yeah we're like let's just riff it so much right. of it was so much of that movie was riffing <laughs> it, tells, it tells us a lot about the about the quality of the people around you as well that we're able to look so naturalistic on camera um despite it being the first time for you know i guess yeah you must have yeah. created some way that they feel very comfortable and confident in that well, it's what we've been talking about this whole time. Just mm. buy into the bit. Like, when I'm yelling mm. at Jordan and we're having an argument in the park, I was like, hey, Jordan, remember that time we had an argument in the park? Just <laughs> <laughs> just, just do that again. Yeah. And, like, really try to be mad. Like, between takes, we, like, weren't... We wouldn't talk to each other, you know? Mm. Like, we really tried... It's not character acting. It's just, it's just yeah, reliving that memory. Yeah, because we've been friends for 15 years, you know? We've had fights. Mm. We've had a lot of, like... You know, he's still, like, one of my best friends in the world, but it's very easy to be comfortable in that setting because we're so close mm. and because we have argued like that in the past, you know? Mm. Even um, uh, them making a bet on whether or not I would move. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that was some real shit they did. I was going to bring that up, but I didn't know if it would be too raw. Oh, no, it's not, it's not raw at all. <laughs> but I, they bet that I wouldn't go on this... I forgot who it was. They were like... Because I'm notorious for like saying I'm going to do something enormous and then not doing it. Um, but they made a bet that I would not go on like a road trip or something like that or go camping. Mm. And I did. I, I drove from L.A. to New York City and just camped the whole way. And then I got back and they were like fucking lost money on you man and i was like very <laughs> upset about that that my friends didn't believe in me but um no it's it's totally cool stuff like that is very autobiographical autobiographical the funny twist in the, in the film and i guess this is where the character is fictionalized to an extent is that naz in the film gets pissed off that his friend believed in him <laughs> you know the, the the guy that you're angry at is the one that bet that you would yeah you would leave and that's, that's a reflection on the character's, I guess, self-doubt rather than actually being pissed off about the bet. Yeah, I think at that time I was really, I had just separated from that girl and I was feeling very mm. isolated. And um, I just pushed, I just bumped that shit up to 11, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was trying to make it seem as though, like, not just me being insecure, but feeling unwanted by my friends. Mm. Or just feeling unwanted generally everybody being like because you know sincerely they were all so supportive that i was almost like why wow, you guys are trying to fucking push me out the door mm. like everyone was mm. like i'll come over and help you pack like can i have your computer you know what i mean they're mm. <laughs> they're being very like and you see that you see that set becoming more and more sparse throughout the film and it's like it's a nice visual reflection of your character's journey and, and the way He's emotionally preparing himself. You yeah. can see that flat changing. Yeah, small stuff like that. If I could ever not say something on camera, I wouldn't say it. So we tried to... I hate mm. exposition, so we would try to just showcase as much as we could. 
without mm. being like, oh my god, there's less stuff in here. You know? <laughs> Again, with with just naturalistic stylings. Yeah, man, this has been this has been fascinating. I've got a couple questions. I'm gonna let you know because I'm conscious that we're coming up to the hour mark. Although I feel like we could keep on chatting for ages, man. Yeah. Um, so first things first that we we're going to address the name of the podcast so with a redraft podcast um we like to ask people if there's anything in your career or life if there's one moment that you thought after you'd done it i wish i could have another run at that i wish i could redraft that what would it be oh fucking where to begin the first 25 <laughs> years of my life i don't know <laughs> um like uh do you mean in this film, or do you mean generally just, like, broadly in my entire life? Either or. It's up to you. Ah, oh, fuck, that's very lofty. Uh, I don't know. Um, probably a lot of things. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't... It's tough, man, because I feel like I was definitely steered in a direction as an adult toward catering to another individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like bad, you know, that's not, that's not a healthy thing. I feel like I was doing so much again, just to impress this person for like, cause that, you know, fucking like eight years of liking the same girl. It's a long time mm-hmm. to like the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're young as well. Yeah. I was 18 when I met her. Mm-hmm. And then up until the week before we started writing that thing, I was like actively pursuing her. Uh, so when that didn't work wow. out, that's a that's a fucking quick turnaround to just start, you know. Right, let's deal with this. Let's write a film about it. <laughs> no, I was like, let's not deal with this, and instead, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. also keep in mind that I didn't expect anyone to see it. Mm. Um, I, me and Alika and Chapin were like, oh, we'll enter it. We'll get into like Hawaii International Film Festival. Maybe we'll yeah. like you know, get drunk and go to like a 4 p.m. showing or we'll like watch it on YouTube at my house or something like that. You know, it was very casual and very low stakes for me. That's like, that's like the only reason I participated. Mm. Um, but because of that, I didn't pull a lot of punches and I didn't make it, mm. I didn't really make it um, as anonymous as I could have in terms of mm. literal things, exchanges and types of food um ceramic art um Mm. i at the very last minute at like i want to say shoot day four we changed the name from the actual name of the girl to to, yeah like wow so is that all gone back in post and changed then there's a lot there's like a little bit of adr but luckily you don't say a character's name over and over and over yeah true 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 but yeah, yeah, it was that's, the expectation was yeah. like that low for this. And then so we did it. I hated the experience just because I hate attention and it's like, hey, you want to relive the rawest emotional moments of your life? <laughs> um and then I yeah, I didn't hear about it. Was like, all right, that's done. And then a year later, I visited home for the first time since moving and Alika was like, "Guess what? Congratulations." We're premiering at Sundance <laughs> and thousands of people are going to see your movie. <laughs> Ah, yeah, that was an anxiety month. And then in Hawaii, um, last year it played, 
it played a, it just did a showing like one showing mm-hmm. um but due to popular demand they kept adding showings <laughs> it sold out Amazing. fucking four theaters so yeah. moments like that i was like oh i wish i hadn't made this so autobiographical because do you know and feel free not to answer this do you know if she's seen it have you heard i doubt she has seen it but mm. i know that she knows it exists mm. and that uh it's her mm-hmm. because um sold out four theaters in honolulu and <laughs> closest friends saw it and if you really know me or you really know her mm-hmm. you're gonna be like oh yeah you know i remember when that happened <laughs> yeah or you'd be like oh i was there for that yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so wow. that's a that's a kind of a bummer um haven't spoken since which i'm oh like totally cool with mm. have a girlfriend now who i adore so that's also mm. great mm. um but yeah i think movie wise the thing that i would change for sure is uh putting some distance between me and it mm. i don't well if i had my choice i wouldn't have probably made it at all or acted but if i had mm. if like assuming it exists if i could change one thing i would have put more distance between me and it emotionally to the point where it didn't, um, I wasn't typing words that I had spoken a week earlier, (laughs) 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 you know, and then having the next day to go and like have a very good actress reenact that moment with me, Mm. you know, because that's just too soon and like too brutal. And I'm not comfortable with everybody else knowing me that way. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. It'd be interesting to follow the journey of the film as it as it evolves and see where it ends up as well. I mean, is 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 there a, is is someone involved seeking like distribution? Are you, would you be comfortable with it ended up on Netflix or wherever it, you know wherever it might find its sort of resting place? If you will, I'm not comfortable with anyone seeing it ever. I didn't know it was playing in <laughs> Manchester either. That's very interesting. I'm not too involved on like the business end. I kind of just made it and then was like, Mm. this is fucking crazy. Mm. Um, I know that it is available on demand. Like you can buy it like on Mm. Amazon or YouTube. I know we have a distributor. I don't know much more beyond that. I I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say that people shouldn't watch it. (laughs) 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 But uh, the phrasing I've been using is like, no one has to. And if you think you're doing me a favor, don't watch it because you're like, I want to support Naz. Watch it if you're curious, sure. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's like, it exists. I hope to make something better one day that I'm more proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels healthier mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally. You feel like you've learned something from the project though, which you wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty grossed out by my experience making it, but that has so much to do with it being so emotionally tied. Mm. Um, Writing it was very cathartic. Mm. Miserable, but cathartic. Because I got to... That's what writing is. Yeah. Well, I got the opportunity to make myself out to be better and, like, rewrite history in a way. And then I didn't. 
and I was very proud of that. Yeah, <laughs> made it a little, made it a little bit worse. Um, but that in itself was very nice to sort of let go of it and let it be fiction. Mm. So that, in mm. that way, it was great. It's a fucking expensive therapy strategy. Seven fifty is not that bad. Actually, <laughs> it's probably cheaper than going for a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly more public. Amazing. Um, I'll wrap up by just asking you if someone has listened this far, they're obviously interested in what you're saying. Would you, any tips for aspiring writers, for someone who perhaps wants to write their first film, for someone who wants to get into journalism? Well, where would you start? What would you say is the major piece of advice? Um, um, don't, uh, shit. Uh, that's a good one. What have I done? Don't... Oh, yeah, okay. I got one. Don't stop yourself from writing a thing because you think it's bad. Or don't stop mm. yourself from putting it out because you think it's bad. Mm. Um, because everything I write, I think, is bad. But people still pay me to do it. Like, it's, mm. it's much better to um, edit the thing that you already made than to never make the thing. And it's like, like as an editor at a magazine, I can I can speak to this. Like, I'd rather you email me a draft that's not very good that we can work on together than to have never made it. And as a filmmaker, it's much better to write a shitty script than to just say that you write but never fucking write. Mm. You know, because like a lot of crap movies get made right here. <laughs> um, but the ones that don't get made are the ones that never get written. So, like, don't... And I, I should probably follow that advice as well. But uh, don't let yourself be intimidated by thinking that your idea is not the best because you won't know until you make it, you know? Mm. I suppose that circles round back to what we were saying about everyone being an island as well. Oh, and, yeah. You know, your ideas are, might be the best in your five-mile square radius. And if that's that's what you've got that's what you've got that's incredible that's amazing you know? go make it with your friends or set up a <laughs> exactly. tripod and fucking shoot it yourself man like don't uh and that's another diy ethos thing is just don't wait for somebody else to make your thing don't mm. just go buy something and make it two minutes and put it on youtube just be proud of it you know mm. absolutely right fantastic we'll start to wrap up Naz. um People need to go and read Monster Children. They need to not go and see Every Day in Kaimuki. Anything <laughs> else? <laughs> no, that's great. I just want to also say that um, my the director of that film, Alika, is very talented, and he's currently working on his next feature, starring my co-star Holden. Um, yeah, so he's, he's shooting that now. Good guys. You should support them more than you should support me, because they actually... Uh, give a shit and are trying to make something genuine mm. um and much like starting a podcast or editing a magazine it's important to support each other in our creative pursuits 100 percent. thank you so much for your time i've really enjoyed chatting mom yeah man for sure uh i'm gonna we transfer this audio to you okay 
Well, I have really enjoyed listening to that chat with Naz and yourself. Uh, it felt a little bit weird not listening to my own voice popping in there, but I will be back next week. <laughs> but no, incre- incredible chat, really interesting. Like you say, the skateboard culture and um, and all that. And it's interesting to see that even though we are across the pond, we've, we've all had very similar experiences in, in this sort of era. Um, so yeah, yeah, great. Uh, great episode great chat really enjoyed it and i hope you have to at home it was uh yeah it was really good to chat with him i enjoyed it massively and uh that wraps us up what a bonus episode They've, you've got nearly over two hours of, of content from us this week wow absolutely and you're in for a treat next week as mm-hmm. well but we'll tell you about that then um but yeah no thank you for tuning in once again um and you've got a lot less time to wait for the next episode <laughs> so that's a bonus excellent cheers Ro. see you on monday Bye. Bye. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Redraft Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this chat, you can help support us over on Patreon. We have three tiers of Patreon support available from three to eight pounds per month. Tier one is the Big Biro tier in that you receive a shout out in the episode after you join, access to all of our planning documents and you can join an exclusive Instagram group chat with other writers to share notes, tips, feedback and more. In tier two, the Fountain Pen tier, you get all of that plus pre-sale to any upcoming live events that we've got going on and you get to interact with our guests directly by emailing in questions in advance and in tier three you get the typewriter tier includes all the previous benefits plus a free art print from print a poet commission your own poem from us once a year and you also get feedback on a single piece of writing and that's once a month and of course you can also support us for free by following subscribing and dropping us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice and we are really grateful for any level of support that you can offer we know it's a tough old world out there for everyone at the minute so thank you very much and if you can't support us in that way you can always just share us with your friends tell the world about us put us on your stories and give us five stars we'll be back every monday with a brand new episode of the redraft podcast for your listening pleasure